Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, a true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Are we working? There we go. Thanks. It's good to be back today. Good to see you all. Did you have a good week? All right. Thumbs up. All right. And we have uh, uh, our oldest daughter and uh, her husband, and they have two young children. They have a three-year-old little girl, uh, Rowan, and uh, a two-month-old little boy, Callum. And uh, they, they came this week, and they're staying with us for a couple of weeks. So it's been a full uh, second half of the week. Uh, chasing a three-year-old around the house and around the yard. And uh, so we've had a, a good week this week and uh, looking forward to a, a good week coming up. And uh, I, hope, I hope you as well. I'd like to begin this morning by um, uh, basically just asking you a question. And uh, I don't really want you to, to, to kind of out loud answer the question. I just kind of want you to think about it for a moment, kind of in your head. And uh, the, the question is this. If I ask you to define the words worry and anxiety, what would you say? Just kind of process that for a minute. If I were to come up to you this morning and I were to look you in the face and I would say, hey, could you, could you define for me uh, the words worry and anxiety? How would you define them? What would you say? What would be some maybe other words or other terms or, or some phrases that would kind of pop into your mind almost immediately when it comes to what worry and what anxiety really mean. Now, as you're thinking about that, you might find this kind of interesting, that the word that is translated anxious in verse 6 of the verses we're looking at today, in verse 6, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. It literally means to be pulled in different directions, to be pulled in different directions, to be pulled apart. 
It's kind of like um, our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us in a different direction and we just feel pulled apart. And that's sort of the idea behind this word anxious, feeling pulled apart. And if you've ever wrestled in your life, and many of us have with anxious thoughts and anxieties, you know how it makes you feel so pulled apart. It's a good picture of that word. And I think another kind of interesting thing is that the English root or the root behind our English word worry, it comes from a verb and it means to strangle, to strangle. And again, it's kind of a picturesque term, but if you've ever really worried, you know how it strangles you. You know how it strangles a person. I mean, worry, it's kind of one of those things that just gets you by the throat, doesn't it? Well, that's where the word comes from. It means to strangle. Worry and anxiety are common experiences. I think if we were honest today, we would, uh, we would all have to say that at one point in time or another in our lives, we have wrestled with anxieties and worries. In fact, maybe we're wrestling with some very deep anxieties and worries right now in our lives. I mean, it's a real thing. It's a common thing. It's a, it's a thing that we all kind of struggle with and, and, and face in our days. And when you think about worries and you think about anxieties, I think, you know, there's a, a whole a wide array of, of, of sources where they can come from. But if we were to think about it a little bit, I, I think it kind of boils down to kind of two things that most of our worries and most of our anxieties come from. They either come from the people around us or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Now, I'm not trying to make this too simplistic, but I think when you, you kind of boil it down, there's a whole vast array of things that can cause us to worry and cause us anxious thoughts. But if you kind of boil it down to its essence, it kind of always comes back to either people in our lives or the circumstances of our lives. Now, if anyone had a reason to worry, to worry and be anxious about the people around him and the circumstances of his life, it was the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote this little letter to the Philippian church. I mean, there were, there were people issues in the church at Philippi. Uh, when Lynn was reading a few moments ago, she read about Iodia and Syntyche. Some have changed the pronunciation to odious and so touchy. It's okay to laugh. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, these two women weren't getting along, and it was causing division and disputes and all kinds of problems in the church. And so there were people problems in the church at Philippi. There were people problems there in the church at Rome. I mean, when Paul's writing this letter, he's in prison. He's, he's incarcerated. Let's put it that way. He's incarcerated in Rome. And the believers in Rome, there, was a, there were all kinds of motive issues going on and, and, and gospel issues going on. And some of the Christians in Rome were doing things to help Paul out. Others were doing things that were really harming Paul. He talks about that back in chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. And so all these people problems at Philippi, all these people problems at Rome, he had lots of reasons to be anxious and worried as it relates to the people in his life. And then there were the circumstances of his life. By the time he gets around to writing this letter, he has been incarcerated for over three years, perhaps as much as four years by this point in time. He's still waiting for his trial date. He recognizes that he could still be facing execution. I mean, his future, his, his ultimate uh, uh, life here on this earth is not in his hands. It's in the hands of a Roman emperor. And so there were circumstance issues that he was facing, people issues that he was facing. So he writes these verses kind of out of his own experience. 
his experience of people problems and experience of circumstance issues in his life. And I suppose as he walked through some of those things, there were probably moments in his life when he felt worry and he felt anxiety. But God in his grace had walked with him through those things. And so he writes these verses to us. And he writes them to us to give us some practical principles, some practical ideas, some practical counsel on how we, like him, can walk with God through the worries and anxieties of our life. How we can see in our lives those worries and anxieties transformed into peace with people and to contentment with our circumstances. And so that's kind of what we want to look at today. From Paul's experience, from Paul's own personal uh, stuff that he went through, we want to look at what he learned and what he shares with us about experiencing peace with people and contentment with our circumstances. So let's begin in verse 1, where he talks about experiencing peace with people. Now, in the context here, he is specifically talking about experiencing peace with worrisome and anxiety-producing people within the church, okay? Now, I know that never happens in our church, right? And that's never happened in any church you've been involved in. But it uh, sometimes happens, all right? Sometimes there are people, even within our own church, that just sort of get under our skin. And uh, they just sort of they just sort of bother us, and they cause us frustration and worries and anxieties. And so Paul's writing in the context of the church, but I think the principles that he shares with us here could just as easy apply, easily apply to people at work, to people in our family, maybe to friends, to neighbors, to classmates, all those kinds of people. So though he is speaking of the context of people within the church that were causing him some anxiety and worry, the principles that he gives are far broader than that. They could apply to anybody in our lives that is causing us worry and anxiety. So here in these opening couple of verses, he gives us some practical advice of how we can experience peace with people in our lives. And he tells us three things. Number one, if we're going to experience peace with people in our lives, we do it through love. We do it through love. Look at verse one. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, given what we know about the people and what was going on in the church at Philippi, he could have launched into this fourth chapter in a very different way. He could have just sort of stepped back and said, you know, you guys are driving me nuts. Yodia and Syntyche, you're just, you're just, your behavior is inexcusable. You need to shape up. You need to turn this thing around. He could have started off this chapter like that, but he doesn't do that. What does he start off? He starts off by using all these terms of affection. And so instead of focusing on maybe some of the reasons why he was anxious or why he could have been worrisome over the people in this church, what Paul chooses to focus on as he thinks about these people is his love for them. I mean, look at what he says. He starts off by calling them brothers. It's a family term. He doesn't call them my children so that he's sort of up here as the parent and they're kind of down here as the kids. He says, hey, we're, we're equals. He says, we're brothers. And then he says, you are people that I love. He says, you are people that I long for. He says, I care deeply about you. I wish I could be with you. I long to be with you. I can't be with you. I'm incarcerated in Rome. But if I could, I'd want to be there with you. He speaks of them as his joy. The word has the idea of, of a delight. So he says, you, you are a great delight to me. 
He speaks of them as his crown. That word has the idea of being a prize or a trophy. He says, you are my greatest trophy. You are my greatest prize. You are my greatest victory. I think so well of you, so highly of you. He calls them my beloved. And then he tells them, and he's he's also saying to himself, that we need to stand firm with this mindset in the Lord. So what's Paul saying? He's saying that if we're going to experience peace with others and therefore freedom from anxiety with others, then we must focus on loving those people, loving those people. Again, he could have started off with all kinds of things about those people, but he chose to focus on how much he loved those people. And you say, how did he do that? How is that even possible? I mean, these people were probably driving him nuts. So how could he do that? Well, he tells us why. He could do that. He could stand firm thus. He could have this mindset because Paul, he was in the Lord. And because he was in the Lord, he could have the same feelings towards people that the Lord has towards people. The same love that God has for people, he could have for people. And so because he was in the Lord, he could have the love for people that God had for people. He saw them as objects of God's love, and therefore they were objects of his love. And so when we're experiencing anxiety with people, maybe it's people at work, maybe it's people in our family, maybe it's people in the neighborhood, uh, maybe it's uh, you know, just individuals that our paths cross with on a, on a consistent basis. And they're people that sometimes cause us to be worried and cause us to be anxious. What do we do with that? Well, if we're, going to, if we're experiencing anxiety with other people, we need to ask God to give us his love, a true love for people. So when we look at those people, instead of focusing on all the things that frustrate us about them, let's focus on a love for them and wanting to love them with God's love. Here's the second thing. If we're going to experience peace with people, we do it through humility. We do it through humility. Look at verse 2. He writes, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now that little verb, entreat, actually speaks of a very gentle pleading. In other words, Paul is not going to Iodia in Syntyche, and he's not saying, look, I am giving you a directive. I'm giving you an imperative. I'm giving you a command. I'm laying down the law. I'm slamming my fist on the table. He's not doing anything like that. He's saying, I am gently pleading. I am entreating with you, Iodia, and I am gently pleading with you, Syntyche. I want you to agree in the Lord. So these two ladies, they must have possessed a very high degree of influence within the church. The sad thing is, at least at this point in time, that was a divisive influence that they were having upon the church. And so Paul looks at these two ladies and he says to them, I want you, Syntyche, and I want you, Iodia, I want you to agree in the Lord. He wants them to have the mindset of the Lord. Now, if Iodia and Syntyche, if they were listening to somebody read this letter to the church, they would immediately recall that just two chapters earlier in chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, Paul had described to them and described to the church what is the mindset of the Lord. You can flip back there in your Bible to chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 5, and listen to what Paul said about the mind of the Lord. He writes in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When you think about it, humility in many ways is the perfect antidote to anxiety and worry because humility puts the focus of our attention on the other person. Humility puts the needs of the other person before our own needs. Humility causes us to see ourselves as servants of the other person. Humility causes us to sacrifice for the other person. Therefore, humility is an absolute necessity if we're going to transform worry and anxiety with people into experiencing peace with people. I've got to not see those people as ones that need to change for my benefit and ones that need to shape up for my benefit so that I won't have any worries and I won't have any anxieties anymore. No, I've got to look at those people and I've got to think, how do I serve you? How do I have the mind of Christ towards you? How do I, how do I love you? How do I help you? How do I, how do I meet your needs? And that's where, that's where the apostle Paul was at. And that's what he's trying to share with us from his own experience. He's saying, yeah, these, these folks in the church at Philippi, there were things that they were doing that caused me worry and grief and anxiety. But God, by his grace, walked me through that. And now I'm sharing some of the things that he's taught me. And one of the things he's taught me is that if we're going to experience peace with people, we do it through love, we do it through humility. And then third, he says we do it through serving or helping we do it through serving or helping. Look at verse 3. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. These women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, who have labored together with Clement, who have, who have been my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And so he, he addresses these words to a person that he calls a true companion, a dear friend, and he asks this person, and, and the word ask that he uses here, again, is a gentle term. It refers to a gracious request. He's not demanding anything. He's not slamming his fist on the table. He's just saying, I graciously request you, true companion, help these women. And then he points out two reasons why they deserve to be helped. In other words, he focuses on the value of these women. He focuses on the worth of these women. And the two reasons he gives for why they are worthy and valuable for receiving help is number one, because they had labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. They had been fellow workers with Paul. Paul says, I could think about all the problems they're causing now, and I could focus on that, and that would cause me lots of anxiety and lots of worry. Or I could focus on the fact that, you know, these ladies, I mean, they're, they're tremendous. They're fellow workers. They have labored side by side with me in the cause of the gospel. That's how I choose to look at them. I choose to see their value. I choose to see their worth. And when I see the value and worth in someone, then I realize that they are deserving of my help. They're deserving of my support. Another reason why they are deserving of, of that help and support, he writes at the end of the verse, is because their names are written in the book of life. In other words, these are sisters in Christ. This, this is family. These aren't strangers. These are not people we're distant from. These are part of our family. These are people that we love, that we care about. They're our sisters. So folks, we have to appreciate and we have to stay focused on the value in other people, 
especially those who are causing us worry and anxiety. We have to be willing to serve them by helping them to see how we value them, to see how we see the worth in their life. Because typically people that we're anxious over and people that, we're, that cause us worry, we don't see their value in our life. We see the problems that they cause in our life. We would just soon jettison them from, their li- or from our life, right? So I would have less worry and, and less anxiety. And Paul says, yeah, I can see that. And Paul probably struggled with that at times. But instead of doing this, it's no, instead of getting rid of them or putting them out of my life, I see their value. They're sisters in Christ. I see their worth. They're fellow workers. I see their worth. They're, they are labors side by side with me. So Paul is teaching us from his own personal experience that to experience peace with the very people that are causing us worry, causing us to feel strangled, that are causing us anxiety, causing us to feel pulled apart, whether it be at work or in our family or at church or with our friends, we have to love those people. We have to focus on having God's love for those people. We need to be humble toward those people, seeing their needs, looking for how we can serve them. We need to be looking for ways that we can help those people, focusing on their worth and their value and that they're deserving of help. Now, we might be listening to this today, and we might be thinking, you know, Mark, that is, uh, I mean, I get what Paul's saying here, and, and I get your explanation, but that, that, you don't know the people that I'm dealing with. I mean, trying to love the people I'm dealing with, trying to be humble around them, trying to help them and serve them, you know? This, I get this, but it's, it's just too hard. And I understand that. And if we were to say that the Apostle Paul said, if we were to say to Paul, Paul, you don't understand the people I'm wrestling with. It, this stuff is, it's here, I understand, but it's just too hard. So if we're listening to this today and we're saying, this is too hard, let's remember that this is the word of God. This isn't just the word of the apostle Paul. This is a word that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. This is a word that comes with the transformational grace of God. So is it hard dealing with people that are troublesome and bothersome and worrisome and that produce anxiety in our lives? Is it hard to deal with those people? It absolutely is extremely hard. But the word of God comes with his transforming power. The word of God comes with his transforming grace. The word of God comes with the very power of God to to allow God's word to work powerfully in the lives of people. So if we're looking at this today and we're saying, Mark, this is too hard, it is hard. But let's remember, it's God's word. On the other hand, we may look at this and say, oh, Mark, that's too simple. You know, there's a whole lot more to it than that. You know, just to say through love, through humility, through helping, come on, that's just, uh, you know, that's, that's just, that, that's too simple. Well, again, let's remember it's the word of God. So even though it's Paul that's writing this letter, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these are God's words. And because they are God's words, though they may come across as being simple and straightforward and understandable, this is the power of God's word. This is truth from God. So though it may be clear and it may be simple, it is not simplistic. It is not um, uh, non-valuable. It has great value because it is the word of God. So whether it appears too hard or too simple, let's remember that this is God's word. God's word given to each of us, given to Paul, to help us to experience peace with the people around us, wherever they might be, that are causing us anxious thoughts and worrisome emotions. So that's what he tells us in these opening three verses. And then as he comes to verse four, he shifts gears slightly. 
still talking about worry, still talking about anxiety, but instead of talking about transforming that worry and anxiety into peace with people, in verse four, he talks about transforming the worry and anxiety of our circumstances into contentment with our circumstances. Contentment with our worrisome, anxious-producing circumstances. Contentment with the circumstances of our lives that just sort of strangle us, that leave us feeling pulled apart in all of that. And so here in verses four to nine, Paul lays out for us, again, six principles, things that he had learned by God's grace through his own experience about how to experience contentment with our circumstances. Here's principle number one, always rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, folks, we don't immediately pick this up in our English translations, but remember a few moments ago when we were looking at verse two and we were talking about Paul's uh, speaking to Iodia in Syntyche, and as he talked to them, he said, I entreat you. And we said that that word is a word that speaks of a very gentle pleading, very calm kind of thing, you know, just gently pleading. Well, here in this verse, he's not using gentle pleading. In fact, the word rejoice, the two times he uses the word rejoice in this verse, they are imperatives. They are directives. They are commands. He is literally saying in this verse, verse four, I command you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, I command you to rejoice. Now, you look at that and you say, how do you command somebody to be happy? You know, I mean, I don't even get that, you know? I mean, how do you command somebody to do that? Well, he's not commanding people to be happy. He's commanding us, like he's commanding the Philippian believers, he's commanding us to rejoice. That's what he wants us to do. So if he's commanding us to do that, then it tells us something. It tells us that joy and rejoicing is a choice. Because if you can command somebody to do that, then they can choose to do that or choose not to do that. So he's telling us that rejoicing, not like happiness, rejoicing is actually an act of the will. That's why he can command, uh, co command it. He's telling us that our constant response to both life's pleasant as well as unpleasant circumstances is that we are to rejoice. Now, he's not saying, he is not saying that every circumstance in our life is joyful, right? Things in our lives are troublesome at times. They're worrisome. They, they, provide, they, they produce anxiety in our life. So he's not saying that all the circumstances of life are joyful, but he is saying that we can choose joy whatever the circumstances might be. And you say, Mark, how is that possible? Well, Paul tells us here, God tells us here. He says we do that because we are in the Lord, because we are in the Lord. Do you ever, you ever stop and think a little bit about what does it mean to be in the Lord? What does it mean to be in Christ? And what comes with being in Christ? Well, you, you may have read this little book, and I want to recommend it to you if you haven't read it. If you have read it, read it again. Um, many of you are familiar with the author Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges, uh, for many years, was sort of the author in residence for Navigators. And uh, Jerry's written, um, I'm sure, dozens of books. I don't even know how many books, but a lot of books. Well, back about eight years ago, he wrote this, this little, little book, but it's a great little book. It's just simply titled, Who Am I? Who Am I? The subtitle is, My Identity in Christ. 
And I love this little book. I have probably read this little book a half a dozen times because I need to constantly be reminded, we need to be constantly reminded, who am I? What do I have? What does it mean to be in Christ? Let me just mention the chapter titles. In, he says, he's talking about who am I? I am a creature. I am in Christ. I am justified. I'm an adopted son of God. I'm a new creation. I'm a saint. I'm a servant of Christ. I am not yet perfect. You go through those chapters, and as you read those chapters, you're filled with, this is who I really am. You know, I'm not who people tell me I am. I'm not the, 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 the messages that, that the world sends to me that I am. I'm not the person that the circumstances of my life seem to be kind of molding me into. No, I am in Christ. And in Christ, I am forgiven. In Christ, I am given God's perfect righteousness. In Christ, I have the transforming power of his grace operative in my life. In Christ, I have a sure hope for eternity. And what Paul's saying, what God is saying, is that it is those realities that enable us to rejoice no matter how hard or how difficult, or how troublesome or worrisome the circumstances of our life might be. Because no matter how bad things might get, we are in the Lord. We are in his family. We are his kids. We belong to him. He has forgiven us. We have his perfect righteousness credited to our spiritual account. You know, we are part of his family. We have an eternal hope in him. That's who we are. That's who I am. That's the true circumstances of my life, being in Christ. So if we're going to experience contentment with our circumstances, we need to always rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice in the Lord. Here's the second principle. Verse 5, be big-hearted toward others. Be big-hearted toward others. Look at verse 5. Paul writes, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness in the original language of the Bible, the New Testament, is actually a, a really broad word. It could be translated considerate, charitable, gentle, good-willed, dealing with trouble calmly. All those qualities are kind of combined into this word. So what that's telling us is that in our English language, there's probably not one single word that sort of captures the, the big idea of, of this idea of, of reasonableness. It's a relational quality. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that speaks of using our resources to benefit others. So it's a word that speaks of being big-hearted toward other people. Now, how is, how is it that this type of conduct brings contentment in worrisome and anxious circumstances? Why does Paul include this instruction here? Well, just think about it for a moment. When you and I are all caught up in worry and we're all caught up in anxious thoughts about the circumstances of our life or the situation we're in, maybe it's the home circumstances, maybe it's the money circumstances, maybe it's the work or the health circumstances, whatever it might be, some relational circumstance that we're in. And we're all caught up in worry about that and all caught up in, in anxiety about that. What happens? Well, I know what happens to me is I get all focused on me and I get all focused on my issues and my troubles and my circumstances and my worries and my anxieties. And Paul comes along, God comes along and says, hey, what you need to do, what God instructs us to do is to be big hearted toward other people, to use our resources to benefit other people, to get our focus off self 
in our circumstances because the more we focus on self, the more we focus on our circumstances, the more we're anxious, the more we're worried. So Paul's giving us some very down-to-earth practical instruction. Say, hey, when we're struggling with the circumstances of our life, be big-hearted toward others. Let's get our focus. Let's focus our resources on others. Let's take our mind and our thoughts and our emotions off of our circumstances for the moment and put them on the needs of other people. Be big-hearted toward others. Here's the third principle. Verse, six, verse 5 again. Live with an awareness of God's presence. Live with an awareness of God's presence. You notice at the end of verse 5, he tacks on this little phrase, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And, uh, you know, these are familiar verses, right? In fact, of all the verses in the book of Philippians, this little chunk in chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, these are some of the most familiar verses in this letter, some of the most familiar verses in all of the New Testament. And so he throws in this little phrase, the Lord is at hand. And at first we might look at that and just sort of kind of jump over it thinking, what's the point of it? You know, what's the value in it? But here's the value in it. Here's the point in it. Let me say it this way. What Paul is saying, what God is saying, is that the presence of contentment in my life is directly related to my awareness of God's presence in my life. Think about that for a moment. The presence of contentment in my life is directly related to my awareness of God's presence in my life, to my awareness of the fact that the Lord is at hand. He's right here, right next to my right hand, right next to my left hand. The Lord is at hand. He is with me. Now, folks, in all honesty, this little phrase, the Lord is at hand, it could refer to a couple of things. Could refer to the omnipresence of Christ, Christ being part of the Godhead, is everywhere present at all times completely. So he's always at hand, right? Because he's omnipresent. Could refer to his omnipresence that he's always with us at all times completely. Or it could refer to the fact that his return is imminent, could occur at any time. You say, well, which is it? Well, I don't know which one it is. I don't think it matters which one it is. In fact, maybe it's both. Because when you think of it, both of those things give us great hope. When I'm going through anxious circumstances, knowing that God is right here by my hand, he is right here with me, and knowing that there's a day coming when he's going to return and take me to be with him, that helps me find peace. That gives me hope. That gives me joy. And folks, a hope-filled Christ follower will be a joy-filled Christ follower, will be a contented Christ follower. So recognizing and living with an awareness of God's presence that the Lord is at hand is extremely important. Important. We need to live our life focused on that assurance that the Lord is right here with me at all times. He's never going to leave me, never forsake me. In fact, he's coming again to take me to be with him forever. So if the circumstances are tough, and many times they are tough, and Paul is not saying get over it, you know, in fact, he's spending nine verses talking about it because it's that important to him. He realizes how, how difficult and critical this issue of anxiety and worry really is. He gets it. So he's not just pushing it to the side and saying, you know, get past it. No, he's saying these are tough issues. And one of the things that help us with these tough issues is knowing that the Lord's at hand. He's right here. And, and he's coming back for me. That's the real circumstances. That's the true situation. That's the true uh, experience of my life, all right? 
And so that's important to do. Here's number four. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. You know this verse well, verse six. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now here in this verse, Paul draws a very sharp contrast. On the one hand, he says, be anxious about absolutely nothing. And then on the other hand, he says, but in everything, so don't don't ever do this, but always do this. Nothing with this, in anything, don't do that, but in everything, do this. And what are we to do in everything? Well, you notice here in the verse, he, he uses four different terms that all kind of focus on our communication with God. The first term he uses here is prayer. He says, but in everything by prayer. Now, the word that he uses here for prayer is a word that refers to giving adoration. It's a word that refers to giving praise. It's a word that refers to giving devotion and worship. So whenever we find ourselves worrying over the circumstances of our lives, one of the first actions that we are to take is that we are to adore God. We are to take time to worship God, to focus on his greatness, to focus on his character, to focus on his works, to focus on his goodness. We need to stop and realize that he is big enough to not only know our circumstances, but to deal with our circumstances and to use our circumstances not only for his glory, but for our growth. So we start off with this focusing on God, praising God, adoring God, worshiping God. And then you notice the next word he uses is the word supplication, supplication. The word that's used here for supplication refers to specific requests directed at God, honestly and passionately. Do you ever find that hard? I mean, sometimes I I go to God and I say, God, I I know you got this whole COVID thing going, and I know you've got the the economy on your mind, and we got the elections coming up, and you know, know, you've got the school thing. I mean, we think about God, you know, we think of the things that are on our mind, and then we think about the things that are on God's mind. And so I have my little request, I'm thinking, I know God, you got a universe to run, and you got to, you know, uh, your people and circumstances all over the world, all kinds of difficult circumstances. You got a, a whole lot on your mind. And, and I realize my, 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 my problems, my needs are like, like this. And you're a big picture God. And I'm just a little picture, you know, kind of thing here. And, and so we present our request to God saying, God, hey, if you have time, you know, when, when you get around to it, no big rush. I, I, know, I know you're busy. What does God say? He says, don't ever do that. God says, no, you come to me with your petitions honestly. You come to me with your supplications passionately. Later on in this verse, he uses the word request. The word request literally means a desperate cry for help. Not a wimpy cry for help. Not a hesitant cry for help. God says to you, your heavenly father says to you, and he says to me, you come to me and you cry out for help and you do it point blank, honest, and desperately. You just present those specific requests to me. Don't worry about my run in the universe. Don't worry about all the people around the world. You know, you are critically important to me. And so we go to God with our adoration and devotion and worship. We go to him with with the specific struggles and and, and anxiety-producing circumstances and worrisome-producing circumstances in our lives. But you notice we do that with what? He says we're to do all of that with thanksgiving. So along with the adoration and along with the asking comes appreciation. 
God enjoys hearing us say thank you. God wants us to adore him. He wants us to ask. He also wants us to appreciate. He wants us to appreciate. So put it all together. We come to God. We communicate to God, presenting our needs, our struggles, our requests to God. We remind ourselves of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his trustworthiness and power to meet our needs. We we, we express our appreciation for who he is and all that he is doing for us and for the circumstances around us. And that helps to bring contentment in our lives when facing difficult circumstances. I, I, I bet if we had time this morning, and we don't, but I wish we did. Maybe you have time this week in your small group to just testify to how many times in your life and my life we have lived out this verse and watched God work. I can think of dozens of times in my own life. You know, um, Lynn and I, um, uh, we're, we're wired a little differently in terms of our, our, our clocks. Um, I'm a kind of an early to bed, early to rise person, okay? So about 9.30, I'm thinking, man, it's time to go to bed. You know, and Lynn's thinking about 9.30, the day's just getting started, you know? So she's kind of a, a midnight to one o'clock kind of person, and I'm kind of a 9.30, 10 o'clock kind of person. And I'm kind of a six o'clock in the morning person, and she's more of a 7.30, maybe eight o'clock kind of person. That's just kind of how, how we're wired. So it's not uncommon for me to go to bed, you know, a couple of hours before Lynn goes to bed. And a lot of times I find myself, and maybe you experience the same thing, I find myself, I get into bed, it's been a full day, a long day, my body is physically tired, but my mind won't shut down. My mind's just running 100 miles an hour. And, and it's about all the stuff happening that day and all the stuff happening tomorrow and this week and next week. And, you know, and I can lay there in bed and I can just excuse myself, well, that's just normal. And then suddenly God dawns on me and he says, no, Mark, that's anxiety. That's worry, you know? So I lay there in bed and I think about this verse and I just say, okay, God, here it is. This is the honest, real, true stuff that I'm wrestling with. I'm just laying it out there. And then I start thinking about the greatness of God and the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. And then I start thinking about about all the blessings he brings into my life and how, how I'm thankful for this and thankful for that. And you know what happens? I fall asleep. Falling asleep sounds a lot like contentment, doesn't it? <laughs> Folks, this, this may seem simple, but this works. And again, if we had time this morning, and unfortunately we don't, but you'll have time in a small group probably, you know, talk about this kind of stuff, about how you've done this and say, it works, man. It honestly works. And Paul tells us it works. So if we're going to experience contentment with the circumstance of our life, we need to pray about everything with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Here's the fifth one. Practice right thinking. Practice right thinking. Look at verse 8. He says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul in this verse is saying, here's the things that we need to make sure occupy our minds. Things that are true, not false stuff, not imagined stuff. Things that are honorable, things that that are really worthy of consuming our mental time. Things that are just, that are righteous and holy. 
things that are, 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 are not contaminated but are pure, morally pure, things that are actually attractive and pleasing, they're lovely, things that are commendable, are constructive, worthy of thinking about. He says, these are the kind of things that are excellent. These are the kind of things that are worthy of praise. These are the kind of things that we are to constantly think about. Now you say, well, Mark, how do we do that? How do, how do I, my head is full of all kinds of other garbage. How do I get my head full of all this good stuff that Paul says I need to focus on right thinking? Well, let me read to you, and I don't know if we're having this on a slide or not, but uh, in Psalm 19, if we have it on a slide, we'll put it up. Psalm 19, verses seven to nine. Listen to what Paul says about the word of God and listen to the compare, listen to the, the, the parallel. In Psalm 19, seven to nine, David writes, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is sure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Are we picking up a bit of a parallel there? Paul, on the one hand, says, fill your mind with things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. David says the word of God is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous altogether. I don't know about you, but I'm picking up a parallel there. Maybe a bunch of parallels there. So what does it say to me? It tells me that filling my mind with the word of God enables me to practice right thinking and therefore to experiencing a far greater degree of contentment, whatever my circumstances. So when I get all caught up in worries and anxieties, and we all do at times, right? These are serious issues. When I get all caught up in that, and my mind tends to run toward false things and all the opposite of what Paul's talking about, how do I shift gears with that? I get into the word of God. Because God's word is chock full of the very stuff that Paul tells us we need to fill our minds full of. So I get into the word of God. Because what I fill my mind with affects my emotions. And what I fill my mind with affects my actions. No way can we have contentment if our thoughts are all full of false, wrong, dishonorable, impure, disgusting things. If my mind is void of the word of God, then I can almost guarantee you that my mind will be filled with anxiety and worry. But the more I fill my mind with the right stuff, with the stuff of God's word, the more it fills me with the peace of God, the more it fills me with the contentment of God. I'm not saying that when I fill my mind with the word of God, suddenly all of life is pleasant. Work is lovely, people are lovely, life is lovely, families, finances are lovely, health is lovely. No, no, it just gets my mind, instead of so focused on all the tough stuff of life, it gets my mind on the stuff that is right and pure and honorable and excellent and worthy of praise. And Paul's saying that if we're gonna transform that worry and anxiety when it comes to the circumstance of our life into contentment, we need to practice right thinking. Here's the last principle. Follow right living. Follow right living. Look at verse nine. He says, what you have learned, he says, what you have received, what you've heard, what you've seen in me, practice these things. So as Paul's writing this letter, he's saying to this group of people, he's saying, hey, you've heard this instruction from me. Uh, you've listened to it. Uh, you've read it. You've got it here in the letter. So you've, you've heard it from me. You've, you've learned it from me. You've received it from me. But he adds one other thing. He says, hey, man, You've seen it in me. He says, you know the struggles I've been through. You know the circumstance of my life. You know 
the people in my life. You know the things that, that are there that cause me anxiety and worry. But you also know that through my experience, God has brought me along. He's transformed me and changed me, and I've grown in him. And as a result of that, you've seen how, by God's grace, there's been transformation. So he says, you've seen it in me. You've heard it in me. Now I want you to practice these things. Practice these things. So what's the point? The point is, find someone who's living rightly and follow their example. Find somebody that has walked maybe a tough road, has been through some hard days, some tough days, maybe in their family, maybe with their health, maybe with their finances, maybe with their job situation, maybe work has just never been easy, and kind of get alongside them and say, hey, I'm watching you, and I know you've been through some tough things, but as I watch you, I notice that that I see peace in your heart. I see contentment in your heart. Could, could we spend a little time together and you kind of talk me through that, how God has grown you in that? And they begin to open up a little bit. And we not only hear it from them, but we see it in them. And one of the principles Paul gives us is that we need to follow right living. Follow right living. Now, folks, you may have noticed that there's a couple of parts of this passage that we've left out because the parts that we've left out are the results. So what does Paul tell us? What does God tell us are the results when we begin to put these principles into practice in the areas of worry and anxiety in our lives? What does he tell us? Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Verse 9, when we practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Those are God's words. God's telling you and he's telling me that even though this may seem hard, or to some maybe it just seems too simple, just six little principles, I mean, come on, it's, it's deeper than that, it's tougher than that. Don't, don't make it so simple. So it may seem a little too hard, maybe seem to some a little too simple. God's saying, when we do these things, God promises that his peace will guard, will form a barrier around our heart and our mind, our emotions and our thinking. And when you, when you process it a little bit, where, where is anxiety and worry? It's in our emotions and our thinking, right? Primarily. Eventually, it shows itself up in physical ways, but it starts kind of in our, in our emotions and our, in, in, in our thinking. So God says, I know that. So God says to us, hey, I will put a guard, a, a, a barrier. I will surround you with my peace, those very emotions, that very thinking. The God of peace, I promise to be with you. So again, whether we think it's too hard or too simple, it's God's word. And it comes with God's promise. And it comes with God's peace. And it comes with his contentment. So again, Paul is not saying, get over it. He's not saying, you know, shift gears. He's not saying, you know, those worries, those anxieties, you know, they're nothing. Paul's saying, been there. Paul's saying, I've had a lot of people in my life that caused me all kinds of worries and anxieties. He's saying, I got circumstances in my life that you wouldn't believe. I get it. He's saying, I know it's serious. I know it's real. That's why I'm spending nine verses smack dab in the middle of this little letter talking about it. But in addition to saying it's serious, he's saying, by God's grace, I have learned things. I have grown. And I want to share with you what I've learned so that you can grow too. 
So again, he's not poo-pooing it. He's not belittling it. He's giving us God's instruction so that we, like Paul, can grow. And so that we can begin to experience in our life a transformation from worry and anxiety to peace and contentment. It may seem simple. To others, it may seem hard. It's the word of God. It never returns empty. It is designed to work because it's God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the instruction of your word today. We thank you, Father, for uh, the fact that Paul was, was kind enough and your Holy Spirit was wise enough to, to give us this practical stuff that Paul was willing to kind of open up and from his own struggle say, hey, this is what I've learned and this is what I'm sharing with you. I've, I've taught it to you. We've talked about it, but now you've seen it in my life. So we thank you today, Father, for these truths, these practical, helpful truths. And Lord, you know, let's be honest, Father, every one of us here in this room at different times, to one degree or another, has struggled with anxiety and worry. Things that just get our mind going and get our focus on them, and we maybe never thought of them as anxiety and worry, but that's kind of what they are. There may be others here this morning that are really caught up in anxiety and worry. Maybe the circumstances or the people in their lives are, are just so severe that uh, it's like they can't get off of it. Lord, I'd ask for your Holy Spirit to do a transforming work in their life today. Give them hope today. Give us hope today. Help us to, to accept the fact that your word works, that these principles, they're tough. They may seem simple to others, but it is, it is the word of your Holy Spirit. It is with your power. So might we take these things seriously, adopt them, begin to practice them in our lives, and then share that with others so that together we can grow in Christ. It's in your son's name we do pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.